Well, the challenge of that song, you know, the challenge for us to make that our prayer, it's not the give me Jesus part, it's the just give me Jesus part. I think all of us want Jesus, but we usually want Jesus plus something else. And the challenge is to really pray that. You know, is Christ really what I want, who I want, ultimately? Do I want Him or do I just want the things that He can give me? That's a challenge. And that's a prayer. Hopefully that will continue to sink into our hearts even as we study His Word this morning. And so let us, let us pray together as we open God's Word this morning. Lord, thank You for Your Word and how it speaks truth, how it reveals who You are, what You're doing in the world through Your Son, how You're bringing everything in subjection under His feet, including us. And we pray that we would yield this morning. Yield to Your truth and be changed by Your Gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Paul made his way through the Galatian region on one of his missionary journeys, recorded in Acts 13 and 17. And Paul, as he would normally do, he would go to one of these town cities and he would tell people about Christ. He would tell people how they can be reconciled to God through the life, death, resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He would share with them the Gospel. And as the Gospel went forward in these places, in Galatia, people received Christ. They placed their faith in Christ, which simply means they moved from trusting in every other thing they were trusting in to make them right with God, and they shifted their trust to Christ to make them right with God and to follow Him. And so their allegiance was now fully in Christ. And as people came to Christ, Paul would organize groups to start gathering together. Churches. And churches were planted throughout Galatia. And you know, when Paul went to Galatia, he was sharing the gospel and he wanted them to have that shift of trust, shift of allegiance to, from the things of the world to Christ. But that's not all he wanted. Just like when you uh, think about you know, someone giving birth to a child. You know, the child is conceived. The child grows in the womb. And at some point, the child needs to be birthed. And then, it's not over, is it? <laughs> Parenthood kicks in. And you begin to raise the child. You want the child to grow. And become who God wants the child to be. And that's what Paul wanted for this church and these churches in Galatia. Not only did he want to see them you know, born again, in other words, he didn't want to just see them come to Christ for their salvation, but he wanted to see Christ formed in them and continue to grow and walk with God and grow in Christ and grow in the, grow in the identity that they have in Christ, begin to you know, show forth who they are in Christ. In other, in other words, they, be, they can begin to you know, show the world what their true position is, and that is as a son or daughter of God. And we see in verse 19 that Paul says, this is, you know, Paul's hope for the Galatians. Verse 19, he says, I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul, you know, gives this image of, he's like a mother in anguish in childbirth trying to give birth to, to see this result, to see Christ formed in them. And this word, or this verb, you know, formed, 
It's a passive verb, which means if I want to see Christ formed in me, I'm a passive recipient in that. In other words, it has to be done to me. And so, when I receive Christ into my life, when I place my faith in Christ, I begin this process of being, or seeing Christ formed in me. Being made into the image and likeness of Christ. Being made into who God wants me to be. And Paul writes this letter to the Galatians because in this process of living out their identity in Christ, growing in Christ, seeing Christ formed in them, they were experiencing some barriers to growth. And in chapter 4, Paul shares two barriers to growth. And then I want to share a third thing this morning, and that is how can we learn something from Paul? How can we put in practice what Paul put in practice, even by writing this letter, and how we can point people to Christ and help them to see Christ formed in them. But first I want to deal with these two hindrances to growth. And the first hindrance to growth is what I'm going to call uh, voluntary enslavement. Listen to what Paul says in verse 8 in chapter 4 of Galatians. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So Paul says, you know, you, you once were enslaved in all those things you used to worship whether they were idols constructed by hands or ideas or whatever you thought was the purpose of life that you were bowing down to and seeking to grab hold of with all your strength. We all worship something. And he says, you once were there, but then you placed your faith in Christ. You aligned yourself with Christ. Your allegiance was with Christ. He's your king. You're worshiping him. Why would you want to go back and voluntarily enslave yourself to those things that had you in bondage before. And now, as I was reading that passage, I couldn't help but think about the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt. And you may remember when Moses, through very miraculous acts, God delivered the people out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, and He was taking them to a place that He wanted them to be. But it required trust. It required them to walk with God by faith, trusting God that He would guide them, provide for them, place them where He wants them. And so as they were leaving Egypt, and they were stepping out into their freedom to walk with God for a lifetime by faith, Pharaoh decided to chase them down and re-enslave them in Egypt. And so the Israelites, once they realize that it's happening, that the Pharaoh's coming back, their old slave master's coming to get them, they begin to grumble against Moses. And this is what they say in Exodus 14, verses 10 through 14. Listen to what they say. As they're walking in freedom, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold... The Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. 
And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and said to Moses. So they're talking to the Lord, they're talking to Moses. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you done, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today shall never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So they're in their freedom. They're walking in their freedom. And they're telling God, it would be better for us to go back and be slaves again in Egypt than to be out here with you. And we all experience this. God has delivered us from those things that we worshipped. Now, they probably were not little figurines that you carved out of wood and bowed down to. But it was whatever you were giving your life to. Whatever you were seeking for satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose, meaning, whatever you thought made you right with God, that's what you were bowing down to. And one way you can kind of just unearth some of these idols in your heart, find out what am I really bowing down to, is my allegiance with Christ? One of the things you can do is ask yourself this question. You know, what, what makes me overly anxious? Or extremely angry? Or very fearful? Because usually those things that are most precious to us, when they're threatened, we react. And sometimes what that does is it unearths those old slave masters in our lives that we're really bowing down to and that we're really living for, whether it be pleasure or financial security or family or a relationship or the approval of man, whatever it is that makes you extremely angry, extremely worried, or extremely fearful, if you back that response up a few clicks, you may see that old slave master that you're seeking to bow down to again instead of following Christ, bowing down to Christ. Now, I was reading this uh, article about this man. When he was 18 years old, he got into this fight and fatally stabbed this other man. And so he was convicted of murder, sent to prison for 26 years. He went into prison in the, in the mid-80s. And it was just recently released this past year. And when he went out into the world as a free man, you know what he did? He intentionally burned down a house. Now, why did he do that? It was an empty house. He burnt down that house because he wanted to go back to prison. He got free, he was, at, he was free, freed from prison, but he wanted to go back and be enslaved once again. And I think that's what Paul's telling the Galatians. 
Christ is, is wanting to be formed in you. He wants to do a work in you. And yet you tend to run back to those old slave masters instead of walking by faith in the freedom that is yours in Christ. And for some of us, if you remember the parable of the prodigal son, some of us tend to run back in different directions. Some of us, you know, when the pressure's on and whatnot, we tend to turn away from God and run into you know, immorality and just kind of do our own thing, just kind of just let it loose, you know, and go for it. Because we think that's where life can be found. But others of us, we don't go that route. We instead slavishly obey God's rules. Thinking that's what's going to put us right with God. And so for some, the slave master may be pleasure or performance or approval of man. And others think you know, the slave master may be you got to do certain things. you got to be a moral person. you got to be right in your behavior or God will never accept you. But both of those, in the example of the prodigal son, you have the younger son who basically wishes his father was dead so he can have his inheritance to do with what he wants. Or you have the older son who slavishly obeys the father in order to get the father's things. But neither son actually loves the father. And that's the problem. Neither son worships the father. Both sons, they want the father's things. And so they worship the creation rather than the creator. And I don't know which way you lean when you turn from God. If you run with the younger son or you run with the older son. But the point is, when you run either way, you are voluntarily enslaving yourself again to those old slave masters. And that growth progress between you and the Lord, the Paul's button is pushed. And we're not seeing Christ formed in you. And that's the threat in Galatia. And Paul writes this letter to, to, just, just to show them that and say, if you want Christ to be formed in you, you must remember your redemption. You must remember what God has done for you. You must turn your eyes to Christ. Everyone knows the hymn, Amazing Grace. You know, the man who wrote that, John Newton. He was seven years old when his mother died. And as a young man, 11 years old, he began to you know, sail on the seas, learning that trade. And he was heavily involved, as many of you know, in the African slave trade. And he did just unthinkable things. But one day on the ocean, when he was 23, in 1748, there was a great storm on the sea. And he cried out to God for mercy. And God answered his prayer. And he turned to God and was converted. And he never forgot how God radically saved his life. Both physically and spiritually. Allowing him to come to him through Christ. And so what John Newton did, so he wouldn't forget this. In his office over the mantelpiece, he had engraved these words from Deuteronomy 15.15 You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. See, John did not want to forget how God was the one 
who brought about salvation. God is the one who redeemed him. And Paul is saying, if we want to see Christ formed in us, that needs to be our focus. We need to remember the gospel. Remember what Christ has done for us if we're going to be, if we're going to see Christ formed in us. And so, I need you to ask yourself this question. Where or what does your allegiance lie with? Like who or what has your allegiance? Has your heart? What are you pursuing? Who are you pursuing? Is it Christ? So that's one threat to growth. The other threat that Paul mentions here is the counsel we receive. The teaching we receive. The advice we receive. In verse 16, Paul says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? (laughs) Have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? I'm telling you God's word, and so that makes me an enemy of yours? And then he talks about the false teachers in verse 17. He says, They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. So you have false teachers coming into the church and they're giving advice. They're giving counsel. And Paul says, it's not for good though. They're not giving good counsel or good advice. Let me give you an example of this. A friend of mine was in a Bible study with a group of men. And one of the men uh, was a married man, but he had begun a relationship with another woman. And he asked the group, I need you to pray for me so I'll know what to do. You know, should I stay with my wife or should I pursue this other relationship? Well, what kind of counsel did he receive? Well, it depends on the counselor. It depends on the questions that you're most concerned with. In other words, if you have a counselor, a friend, a teacher, a preacher that is more concerned with your immediate happiness, what they're going to say is, well, friend, um, are you unhappy in your marriage? Well, then maybe you should pursue this other relationship. Now, if your counselor, your friend, your preacher, your pastor, if they're more concerned with your progressive holiness... They're not going to be as concerned with your immediate happiness, but rather they're going to want to point you to Christ. And they're going to want to ask the question, what would Christ have you do? What would God have you do? What would put you in a position where you're trusting Him and continue to walk with Him? And so Paul's saying, the counsel you receive affects your growth. And the question that we have to ask is, how many of our counselors are more concerned with our feelings than with our holiness? Or how many of our counselors are more concerned with our immediate happiness versus our progressive holiness? And Paul says these these false teachers in Galatia, they made much of the Galatians in order to pull them away from Paul and so that they could make much of Paul. I mean, much of the false teachers. And so actually what they were doing is they were trying to pull them aside, teach them certain things, and so that the the attention would come back to themselves. Whereas Paul is saying, I want to see Christ formed in you. 
I want to point you to Christ in my counsel, in my teachings. And so what we see here is if we want to see Christ formed in us, we need people in our lives that are going to point us to Christ. You know, we need to have people that are more concerned with our relationship with the Lord than our immediate happiness. Or whether they're going to like us or not if we tell them the truth. You know, we need to point them to Christ and His Word. So in order to have Christ formed in us, we need people to point us to Christ. And so those are the two hindrances of the growth that I think are pointed out in this passage. One, voluntary enslavement, going back to those old slave masters instead of walking by faith in Christ and what He's done for you. And second, hearing and seeking out counsel that is in contradiction to walking by faith in Christ. And the third point I want to bring out here is to help us to consider how do we, how do we help people, help one another to see Christ formed in them? Can we learn something from Paul here? And I think we can. If you specifically look at verse 12, Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. This is how Paul lived life. This is, this is how Paul fulfilled the mission of God. He says, first of all, become as I am. Now think about this. Do you feel comfortable telling someone, become as I am? Maybe initially you might say, well, not really. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to go that far. But, but hear, hear what he's saying here. He's saying, become as I am. In other words... Think about it this way. If you know Christ, if you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ, would you not want people to become like you are? I mean, would you not want people to know Christ too? To follow Christ? That's what Paul's saying. Become as I am. As someone who is in the family of God because of the work of Christ. Become like me. And in order to do that, Paul, he lives his life in such a way that people will become like him. In other words, that he's, he's, sh- he's showcasing the gospel with his life. He's showing the world that his allegiance is with Christ. And so for us, our allegiance to Christ should show forth itself in our relationships, how we work, our work ethic, our relationships with our spouses, our friends, our family, one another. I mean, it should demonstrate our allegiance to Christ. But he also says, Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And what we see here is that in order to point people to Christ, not only do we need to show forth our allegiance to Christ in our actions and our words, but we also need to enter the lives of the people around us. You know, you may be uh, familiar with this um, idea. You know, it, when you talk about battle, engaging people, uh, or engaging the enemy, for example, in a military fashion, you have what's called the air war and the ground war, right? The beauty of the air war in, in the military is that uh, you can kind of do it from a distance, right? You can just kind of lob 
you know, weapons and whatnot from a distance. So there's less risk involved. But we all know from the history of war that you cannot win a war without the ground war. You've got to have the air war and the ground war. And it's like that even in relationships uh, in the sense that we can't expect as the church just to come together on Sundays at 11 o'clock and have this air war going on. In other words, presenting the gospel from the pulpit and expect people in our community to come to Christ. I mean, we hope that will happen to some degree for some people. But it has to be more than that. There has to be a ground war. In other words, you have to go and like Paul say, become as I am, just like I have become as you are. I need to get into your life. I need to get into your world and show you how the gospel transformed, transforms people from the inside out. John Stott says it like this. He says, if they are to become one with us in Christian conviction and experience, we must first become one with them in Christian compassion. In other words, you need to get into the lives of people and show them how the gospel transforms people from the inside out. And so if we're going to be a church that is going to see people come to know Christ, place their faith in Christ, then we need to both represent Christ with our lives and also get into the lives of the people around us and share the gospel with them. So I want you to think about this. Who, who or what are you pointing to with your life and your words? I mean, where is your life pointing people? Now let me ask another question. Do you know anyone who doesn't know Christ? I'm not saying, do you know their name? I'm saying, do you know them? Have you become like they are? Have you entered their world and their life? Are you sharing life with them? Are you, are you getting into a position where you can actually share about who Christ is and what He's done for you and what He can do for them? My prayer is that we would be a church that is filled with people in whom Christ is being formed and who are pointing people to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, that is our prayer. And I know even this morning as we evaluate our own lives, we realize that we tend to run back to some of those old slave masters. And we voluntarily enslave ourselves once again and follow days, seasons, months, and years, put ourselves under some standard that is not the Gospel to seek satisfaction, to seek acceptance by You, to seek fulfillment, to seek meaning, and to seek forgiveness. Lord, we confess that this morning. We ask that you, Your Son would continually be formed in us. That we would turn our eyes to You, God. And Lord, help us to seek counsel from people who will point us to Christ. And not point us to our idols. And Lord, may all of us encourage those around us to become like we are. People that have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And help us to enter their world 
that we may share Christ with them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.